Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie. The pitch is now assisting the opposition of the podcast. I told you it was bad. And I'm joined by the I still haven't woken up of the podcast, Tom Alderson. Wake me up when the game has ended. And finally, the Diego Llorente dive of the podcast. Are you going down... Or are you squaring up? It's Darren Driver. Darren, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. And much like Diego Urente's dive, I'm hoping to provide the only entertaining moments of, of the uh, <laughs> of the thing. So, yeah, that was that was quite spectacular, wasn't it? I really did uh, sort of enjoy that in a perverse kind of way. But I'm good, thanks, yeah. Oh, looking forward to pulling the legs off Aston Villa. Mm, yes, and someone else who's enjoying pulling the legs off Aston Villa is Tom Alderson. Tom Alderson, how are you? I'm great. I just I love spending my Sunday afternoons with you two talking about a game in which we've been absolutely rubbish. It just we, we won't, I thought we counted these up. We've probably done about five of these podcasts now, haven't we? Where yeah. we just no one wants to be here and no one wants to listen to us either. Properly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if there's anyone still here after that intro, <laughs> let's talk about the match against Villa and let's begin as we always do with how did that feel? So Tom Alderson, how did that feel? I'm very glad that we don't do like instant reaction videos or podcasts or whatever other people seem to do because I was really wound up after that game and it, we just we were never going to score in a million years. Uh, we were just saying off air, John, weren't we? That like we could have just turned off after ten minutes and we would have probably got everything we needed to out of that game. Um, and I, I, when I watched it back last night, I know I normally get something else out of it, like oh we weren't that bad or. Oh, I missed that. So, but like, I just got nothing out of that game on the rewatch. It was just—it's probably the most boring game we've had in two and a bit half years of Bielsa, isn't it? It's one of those games where, and I always say, you know, I recommend that people go back and watch games, but because when you watch as a fan, there's a lot of stuff that you just miss by dint of the fact that you're watching as a fan. Uh, and whenever we watch, we all watch as fans, and that's why we re-watch the game, just to make sure that there's nothing that we have missed. But it was just a really sort of face-value game yesterday, I thought. It, there was, I, I got nothing out of the analysis, really, either. 
because I watched back and I was kind of like, yeah, you know what? Villa played the way that I thought they'd played. We played the way that I thought we played. There wasn't any real tactical shifts at any point. None of the managers tried to do anything different. Leeds didn't really have a bench that could do much in term, in the way of tactical shifts. And so that was that. So, yeah, it was a very, very bland game. And um, uh, I, I've rewatched the game uh, I rewatched the game and then I rewatched the first half again. So I am a real glutton for punishment. But um, yeah, Darren, please inject some excitement into the into the very glum <laughs> start that we've had on this podcast. Well, uh, what excitement can I inject? I mean, what I will say is that that once again the pitch injected a layer of excitement that that we could probably do without. Um, and and I'd, I'd be very happy if if that could that could sort itself out at some course in the future. Um but but in terms of excitement I'm afraid it's gonna be sorely lacking because there's there's just not there's just not a huge amount around. I mean, like you, I, I watched the game uh, back this this morning uh, and yeah and and normally when I when I rewatch like I I kind of see things that I hadn't noticed the first time or I notice a little political uh, a little political <laughs> a little a little tactical shift here and there or something that's happened that I'd not quite observed or something that I'd misunderstood and and yeah really very it was very much you know there was the tale of the two slipped shots at the start I mean if you want to you know I think there is some debate about whether Watkins slipped or not but but you know you, you can very much imagine a world where um there is there isn't this world where we get that bit of luck at the start and then and then the game looks very differently but instead it happens that that Villa get that stroke of luck and then we're really up against it and 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 in exactly the sort of game that I sort of anticipated that we would be before which was I, I felt all along that Villa were going to come and they were going to try and make life difficult for us and sit back um but it's just a shame that at the time they had they decided to do that that they had a goal to defend because that that really puts a stake on it doesn't it i'm thinking of introducing a game state klaxon on this podcast so whenever we mention the word game state you will hear a klaxon sound i think from here on in i will obviously do that in the edit, so it will have happened by now. So how did you feel about that game state collection, guys? <laughs> Let's talk about game state, because Piper Perry says, how many times can you say game state in this podcast episode? And I think, let's just get it out of the way. Talk to us about the game state, Darren. Well, what what did we fail to do, lads? We failed to ameliorate the game state, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, um, yeah, it was, it was very much, you know, I, I think Villa, Villa came really, and I, th- I think they... As the game went on, they they got increasingly deep and and sunk increasingly into a low block, um, and you know I think we we looked at the game this morning and you and I had a couple of chats about it on on in the group chat, John. I f- I felt that that really Villa stopped committing to a press as a team, such as it was in in the early part of the game at around ten minutes, and I felt like after that. Ollie Watkins was still pressing and he was particularly pressing when the ball went back to Melier. But I felt the two wider players were already starting to drop back into a mid block. And and then by yeah, by twenty five, thirty minutes they'd sunk completely back into a mid mid block and even Watkins wasn't pressing. And then after after the after half time, really, they they were sitting with nine, eight or nine players in their own half, and only Watkins and maybe one other joining him beyond that. And and what that does is it puts the onus on us to 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 break them down, doesn't it? They killed all the space. They stayed really compact throughout. They were happy to cede the wings to us in in attacking areas to a degree because they knew that we wouldn't really be able to hurt them with crosses. 
because uh, we haven't got the physicality to do that. And then they, the only other time really that they committed men forward was when they had set pieces because they knew there was a decent chance that they might get something from those. But but other than that, it was it was kind of a familiar tale which we which we saw a lot in the championship where where people mistake the game state where people mistake the opposition's tactical ideas for our players playing badly uh, and 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 individual players playing badly and i think if you if you're really struggling to identify any individual within our attacking lineup that's playing well that probably tells you that it isn't down to player performance that it's that it's down to something else yeah i think this is a really good example of a game state this game and then the previous game with villa because uh, obviously the first game with villa was um it was nil nil at half time leeds got the first goal and then they went on to win 3-0 and in this game villa got the first game uh, goal and then went on to win 1-0 in a in a very different game but that's what we mean when we say game state the the, the that first goal changes the way that the two teams are going to play and you can you can see how how that um, impacted the the game in the first game Villa had to come out a little bit more because they were behind that left them quite open and allowed us to attack the space this time around they got the goal first and they could just commit to to sitting bodies behind the ball and and it worked out fine for them so hopefully that's all of the game state chat out of the way early on I'd be interested to know if <laughs> oh no he's coming back for more it's, it's not <laughs> a complete game state point but I'd be interested to know if they had Grealish would they have done the same thing would would they have gone fall behind the ball or would they have gone you know what we can probably get a decent win out of this and go for a couple more yeah I thought about that as well and I kind of suspect that they would have left Grealish somewhere around halfway so that if if the ball did break that they would have had a better chance of hurting us with with his direct running but I, but I suspect that fundamentally the game plan wouldn't have been too different is my take on it but I don't know what you guys think I think if you've got someone like Jack Grealish, you can play the way that they played and look a lot more dangerous from yeah. from breaks yeah. from deep. So I think that's generally how they play. They tend to they were they were still feeding the ball up a lot through the the left hand side of the of their their left hand side of the pitch, which is why Diego Llorente was being covered by Ollie Watkins a lot. Just because I think they're just still going to feed the ball down into those areas. And when you've got someone like Grealish, he, he can pick the ball around the halfway line and then really attack your goal and, and, and look quite dangerous. But they just didn't really have that so much yesterday. Um thought El Ghazi obviously looked a little bit dangerous in the first half. But yeah, like you said, Darren, they, the, they, they really did sort of start being quite conservative in their pressing after that. So uh, I think that was pretty much the story of, of the game. Um, Mike Turetsky said, Bielsa post-match said that, the, that we were dominant throughout the game. But is possession the same as dominance? From a tactical point of view, which team were really more dominant Tom Alderson, what did you make of that? Can I say that neither team were dominant? Like, is that <laughs> because I just think we didn't really offer anything in, in attack uh, because we couldn't break them down, even though we had the share of possession. So to, to answer the first part of the question, I don't think dominance and possession are the same thing. I just think we had more of the ball without really doing anything with it. And they didn't really dominate. They just, the game... I nearly said game state again then Um, (laughs) the the game just went well suited them to um, to play the way that they they wanted to play so my answer to that question is I don't think either team really were dominant and that's probably why it was such a bad game yeah I kind of slightly disagree with that I kind of feel like like Villa's tactics were the dominant factor in the game yeah, so, so from that point of view I, I, I would I would say that, that they were able to impose their their style of playing the same way that Bielsa really hopes to do for us uh, on, on the game and, and therefore I, I think Mike uh, asks a really good and insightful question because I think I think absolutely that they, they, they were able to to dominate the game from that point of view they didn't dominate the ball but they were never trying to 
Yeah, one final question on, on this sort of Games Day overall view of this is from Neil Mulby, who says, are we getting done by Games Day or Pitch Day with our away record being marginally better than home? Do you think that a new pitch will improve next season's home record or are we overperforming away due to no crowds, which I think is an interesting way of looking at it. Darren, what's your take on that? Yeah, I I think that I think the pitch has been doing for us on one level or another more or less all season. Certainly since the Leicester at home game, when I think it was the first time when it became a became a major factor. Um, and you know, I, I I think you would struggle to say on any on on any level that the new pitch has improved the situation at all. Um, I I don't think um, necessarily you know home and away really comes into it at the moment just because the stadiums are empty I think I think the the thing is that we're playing on nicer surfaces when we go away or surfaces that aren't quite as damaged or aren't quite as difficult to play on and I think that really helps us I think I think perhaps with with yeah I think Neil's right with with crowds in there next season it might be slightly different but I, I really do hope that they're able to kind of once and for all sort this this issue out um you know in 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 the close season because it really is damaging us uh, on 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 every level um in terms of injuring our players in terms of injuring our our ability to play our game in terms of you know just simple things like when Bamford slipped yesterday i think there was every chance that he gets a decent shot on target there um i'm not saying he would definitely have scored but but I, yeah i just think it's it's just a massive massive factor and and you know like i said i think i said this in the, in our group chat yesterday that that you know the first game when when we had it laid and people were sliding all over i thought it was quite funny but i think the novelty of that has really worn off now <laughs> kind of just i think home games have just become a bit of a chore to be honest bamford himself has come out and said Oh, I think it was in this Southampton game where they decided to play the pitch differently. They were like, we're just going to try yeah. and play the pitch the way that it is. And that's fine. And, and, you know, people can argue that that maybe gives us a little bit of an edge in that we've got experience of playing on this pitch. But at the, at the same time, we are changing the way that we play to a certain extent. And I think that's going to have a negative impact. Well, yeah. And also, I think that, that Southamp- the way Southampton played lent itself to us playing in that way to playing a slightly more direct game and getting in behind but the way that Villa played yesterday didn't give us that space so actually we weren't able to use that tactic even then so uh, yeah I think it's a I'm a bit sick of it to be honest yeah I'm very sick of it too and I can't believe I'm about to ask this question but which pitch did we prefer the old (laughs) pitch or the new pitch Tom I think I prefer the old pitch because I don't. I didn't think that was ever going to injure anyone, was it? Yeah, I think I think it had every chance of injuring someone. To be honest, I, <laughs> my, my my view is that they're they're equally as bad, but just bad in different ways. See, we didn't pay three hundred thousand pounds for the old pitch, though, did we? So <laughs> that that might edge it for me. Well, no, but if it takes us down a you know a place in the table, it it costs us three million quid, not three hundred thousand, doesn't it? So I mean, True. I can see why they tried to do something about it, but I think I do remember when we were talking about whether it was even a possibility that I said that I felt that. It probably wasn't really worth doing because cause you go from the devil you know to the devil you don't, and you, you just don't know how a new pitch is going to settle down or whether it's even going to make any impact. I think that you know the, the the fundamental difference is that the old pitch was was old and cratered and never drained properly and and all that sort of stuff. But this pitch doesn't seem to drain properly either. Um, it seems to hold a lot of water, and it might be it might not be draining for different reasons. It might be because it's not knitted in or whatever, and you know that pitch management course didn't teach me a right lot. It was just one of those online jobs, <laughs> you know. Um, I think they're equally bad. 
what has amazed me is just quite how bad the pitch is looking already. Yeah. That considering it was laid like what a month ago, it looks awful. And I think it's a real shame that we've sort of fashioned our way to staying in the Premier League for a season, and we're going to have to sort of endure the rest of the season just on the basis of the pitch as well. But uh, let's move on and talk about something that's um, well, I say more interesting than the pitch, but uh, probably isn't. Let's start off by talking about our attacking woes. So LUFC Josh said, "What went wrong in our offensive performance today? Thought the defence was fine as a whole." Uh, which I agree with. I think a, a lot of this comes down to the question, how do you attack against a team who are sitting deep? We we often say, you know, it's really difficult to break down teams that sit deep. And that, that is true. You know, we see teams doing that against Manchester City. Uh, and we've seen Manchester City struggle to break down low blocks before. But I think we need to move beyond just simply using that as an excuse and start thinking about, well, how are we practically going to deal with that? Are there, are there any things that we can do slightly differently to maybe make ourselves a little bit more dangerous in these situations so I'll throw this one out to Tom Alderson first uh, what are your thoughts on the offensive performance and and how do you think we start thinking about different ways of, of breaking down teams that are going to sit in well we obviously weren't very good offensively that's the <laughs> the, the basic point on this but I think the one thing for me is that what we see and if we come back to the, the Man City point is that they kind of have those players that will just produce that one moment that will unlock a defence um, and that'll get them the goal they need to get through. And we can't really... We're less likely to do that at the moment with the players that we've got. Like, you're very unlikely to see... that They could still do it, but like you're never probably going to see that Stuart Dallas or whoever to do that one pass that's going to unlock a defence. I think the, the, the only player that I can think of... Well, there's two players that could do it. There's Hernandez, but he's sort of getting to the point now where he's not going to be able to do his um, play as much. And Rafinha, and I think with Rafinha on the left, I think he'll limit his ability to do that because I think he becomes a lot more predictable because you know he's probably going to either go outside and try and get the cross in or he's going to come more cent- become more central and that's going to really narrow the space that the um, the opposition defence has to defend. Whereas with, at least with like Jack Harrison on the left wing, he kind of stretches the play a bit more. So then they've just had that little bit more space. Um, and we, what we know, Bielsa's system is all about creating space for players. And if and if players become narrow on that side, it just reduces the space and therefore makes it more difficult to unlock these defences. Yeah, we did actually have a question about Rafinha along these lines, which makes sense to go to now uh, from Jacob Stanbridge. He said, my take on this could change on a rewatch, which I'm not especially looking forward to. But I wondered about your thoughts on having Dallas and Rafinha both on the left flank versus a side sitting deeper. Felt like both were coming inside and not stretching play enough. So um, certainly Jacob agrees agrees with you, Tom Alderson. Darren Driver, do you agree with Tom? <laughs> I think I broadly do agree with Tom, but I slightly disagree with with Jacob's question because I felt that whatever danger we did have in the first half came down that side and came from Rafinha's ability to to beat um, the man whose name I can never remember that used to play for Hull and now plays for Villa. (laughs) El Mohamedy. Yes, him. Yes, Elmo. Yeah. Um, And so I I felt that they they were the only two, you know, that that kind of Dallas was feeding the ball to Rafinha quite well and I thought Rafinha was, was... you know, had comfortably had the beating of him, um, but I, I think I th- I'm sort of thinking about the you know the question of the of the low block, and I think there are num- there are probably three ways that you can three ways that you can do it that we don't currently have, and I think one is that you need probably someone in central spaces who can who can beat somebody in a tight space and 
pull a pass off or you need to move the ball laterally more than we tend to do because we tend to move the ball laterally across our back four and then go down one side or the other whereas I think if you watch City play what they tend to do is they will sit with the ball in front of in front of the low block and they will move it from side to side and wait for a gap to appear and I don't feel like that's something that we ever really do and then the other the other way that I think that we need to to, to do is may, maybe it's a day when you want Stuart Dallas taking the occasional longer shot and I, I know we kind of have a running joke on this podcast about don't shoot, don't shoot from there Dallas but <laughs> but I think one of the things that that does do is it is it just kind of gives the opposition a slight bit of uncertainty about what we're going to do from those positions and it might make them come out a little bit more and it might open up a space one time or another but I think I think when you're playing against a low block what you're playing against is an opposition who's made a decision before the game that they are not going to take any risks so what you're really waiting for is for them to make a mistake and they really didn't make very many mistakes defensively at all yesterday and I think that's absolutely to their credit it's not the sort of football I want to watch um, but but it's under Deniable that on occasion it will be effective, um, and yeah, I think I think that you've you know as much as it pains me, I think you've got to give Villa some credit because because they came away with with exactly what they'd planned to come away with, and it's not like when we faced low blocks before in the Championship where we weren't where they weren't particularly good at it, and we'd still put up two point five or three xg but just not score. We actually barely created anything yesterday, and I think that's that's you have to at some point go well actually that's down to you know, a sound defensive plan well executed. One other thing I would just add to excellent points made by both of you is that I th- I do think that Villa were open in the first half. And I think it wasn't simply, oh, you know, we're in this same situation of not being able to break down a low block. It was a situation of we looked really quite, uh, n- not naive, but we, we really didn't take our chances in, in good positions in the attacking third. Um, and I think that's an issue because... We know that the longer games go on, the more teams are just going to sit in and defend their their um, their goal. And we had a few chances, I think, early on to to actually cause problems for Villa. And we just we just seemed a little bit panicky. Uh, we didn't make the best decisions. We didn't make the best passes in certain areas as well. So I do think it's it's not simply like you know, oh, team came here, low blocked, snatched a goal, and that was that. It was it was very much team came here, snatched a goal was sort of sat in a mid block gave us chances to try and find space through the mid block but we didn't actually make any anything really that dangerous out of it um which i think is slightly different yeah i think that's how you can separate the first half and the second half though because you know i think the second half was definitely a low block but i think you're right about the first half there were chances there exactly and i think as a result of that there's a good question from antonio corbo who said i think we look uh, to find Rafinha too early and we're too focused on him. A few times in the first half, we were looking for him no matter when be- when better passes were on. And I di- this is something that I noticed yesterday, actually, in, in the because Rafinha is obviously an outlet for us, we've started becoming quite reliant on him in terms of attacking um, routes that we're running. Um, there's a few examples of that yesterday. There was a, an example when I think it was Click who got to the byline and he had an option to find Tyler Roberts in a quite a bit of space in the box uh, and Rafinha was running, sort of overlapping him to the byline and and Click waited for Rafinha, played the ball to him and I think maybe if he'd have got the ball off slightly quicker to Roberts then it might have fashioned a better chance out of that. Um, and also the, the Diego Urente ball that everyone is raving about which was was obviously a good ball and we'll, we'll go on to talk about Diego Urente. But I think when you break it down and look at it 
he's actually looking for Rafinha and Roberts turns around and picks the ball up. Um, because if you see Roberts picking the ball up, he picks up at quite a lot of pace. Um, now I realize a lot of people won't agree with that interpretation and I'm not particularly sold on it myself, but, um, I do think that that, that could be an example as well of there's quite a few times when a, a lot of those balls that we're seeing coming in from midfielders and defenders are aiming for Rafinha. And I, I wonder whether or not that makes us a little bit too predictable as well. But Tom Alderson, I'll bring you in on this one. What did you make? What do you make of this idea that we may be looking to find Rafinha a little bit too much and it, it maybe dulls our attacking somewhat. I think um, I do agree with that and to sort of build on your point a bit John that there was a couple of times that I think I think it was uh, Tyler Roberts he was dribbling through and he was like on the almost like the right right hand side half space and then he just sort of like clipped a ball to Rafinha when it was like it didn't really look on but he, he went for it and it happened twice pretty much identically I was like have I seen that before I felt like I was having a bit of deja vu about it um, and I think it was, it was almost like what we we did with Jack Harrison in the championship. Like we were going just to try and isolate him on that side against El Mahamadi, and I don't think it, it was always on. Whereas because of the, they um, Villa weren't giving him space. Um, whereas in, in the championship, would, like, Harrison was usually in space when we went for those balls. But we saw it. We saw it work against Southampton midweek, and that was because they were pushing a bit higher. But. I don't think when you've got there playing a low block, I don't think it's always the best idea to go direct to Rafinha. I think you're better sort of waiting and trying to find him um, space in probably a bit more of a natural way rather than forcing it. I guess following on from this, there's the question about Rodrigo because obviously Rodrigo played in the 3-0 win at Villa Park and looked really good in that game. I rewatched that game this week and he was really important to a lot of our um attacking play especially because I think it became quite a transitional game once we got the first goal and Villa opened up a bit and he was perfect for that uh, Matt Keegan's Wood said I miss Rodrigo do you um and I think this is is a good question to ask because I, I think a lot of the time when we talk about Leeds as fans we're seeing a lot of people being like we, we often get questions about like what's our best 11 what's the 11 that you would choose and I think part of the problem with our team is that we we have a we've we have a very sort of thin first 11 and we don't really have much option to do stuff outside of that. And so you get into the habit of being like, well, we, let's fit our best 11 players in the team somehow. And it, it makes you very tactically inflexible. And one of the things that I've noticed actually with Calvin Phillips being out is the amount of times when we've actually gone to sort of a, a position where the pivot is is a central midfielder dropping deep rather than a defensive midfielder, which I don't think we would do if we had Phillips available because you can't not play Phillips. Um and I think the same the same is probably true of someone like Rodrigo is that there's going to be certain games where I think Rodrigo is really important. And I think there's going to be other games where Rodrigo doesn't look up to much. And I guess part of the issue that we have with our squad depth is that there isn't a huge amount of tactical tactical flexibility that you're going to get out of the, the squad that we have. And uh, we could talk about the, the subs yesterday as well. It felt as though, well, Pascal Strout came off. Um, allegedly, he's injured. Uh, but again, it felt as though that was... Um, that was a, a shift that the same sort of shift that we saw in the original Villa game. Obviously, that was um, occasioned by a yellow card to Strauch and Bielsa clearly didn't want us to take a red card in that game. But um, with Villa really not attacking in that central space through players uh, and sitting with essentially two eights and then a defensive midfielder behind them, it, you know, you you want to bring on maybe a slightly more attacking midfielder to try and cause more problems. The problem is that we don't have any more midfielders available. So the best we could do was bring on Alioski and then shift Dallas across to the midfield. Like that's not an ideal shift, really, when you're looking to find a, uh, a goal. So yeah, there's there's an element to which we need to we need a th- thinner, thicker squad. But I think in a game like this, we do miss Rodrigo. Um, Darren, you got things to say? What you, what's your thoughts? I was just agreeing with you, really, that that 
you know, for all that I've got a lot of respect for Dallas and I've got a lot of respect for Alioski, bringing, you know, no combination of those two is going to unlock the sort of defence that Villa were putting up yesterday, um, unless they make a mistake. Um, yeah, that's all I was going to say. Did anyone else want to add anything on Rodrigo then? I think he would have been in the first half. He might have made might have made quite some difference because there was some space there for him to move into. I think in the second half he would have struggled just as much as everyone else, to be honest. Yeah, it was just like Rodrigo's not that player that's going to find the pass to unlock them, but he might find the space that was there. But like you say, in the second half, the, the space wasn't there. I think we had a talk on one of the podcasts a while back about wh- what games can you have Rodrigo and Click in the same team. And I think this is one that we probably could have tried it because we could have Click could have gone for in that holder midfield role. Then you could have had, well, if you could have had a midfield free of like Rodrigo, Dallas and Click, and I don't think it would have been a problem yesterday. I think it, um, with the way the Villa set up, if they'd gone with Barkley, then yeah, I think it could have been a problem. Rob Porter had a question about the the pivot um, aspect that we just mentioned there. The fact that Strout came off and, and and then we looked to be a little bit more attacking in the central space. So he says, should we have taken Strout off earlier? Hard to do, hard thing to do after doing it to him in the reverse fixture. But with Villa playing without a ten, he looked a little redundant. Um, how do we feel about the the this whole sort of question, um, Tom Alderson? I think uh, I think Stroik played pretty well in the first half. I think he was pretty good at getting the ball forwards. Um, the problem was that with Villa setting up almost like in a flat three, that it was then ended up with like Click and who Roberts almost like in a three against two, and I think that causes a few a bit of problem in the f- first half. But I'd much rather Stroik started that game with the chance that Barkley could have started because if Stroik hadn't started and then Barkley had played, I think we could have been in trouble in a in a different way. But I think I think he did play well when he was on and. The substitution, if it wasn't for an injury, was probably just because he wasn't needed in the second half. But I'd, I definitely wouldn't have started uh, without him. I just think maybe we could have done it a little bit earlier, but it would have seemed really harsh to do it twice to him against Villa both times. Yeah, it's interesting with the substitution because it happened in what the fifty-second minute or something like that. So straight after the second half. So I think they clearly, I think Bielsa had clearly been like play on for a little bit just to see what they do um and if they if they do start sitting a little bit deeper then we won't need you and then we'll bring you off um because it was obviously not a very obvious injury that he was carrying um but yeah Darren what do you make of this issue of like the use of a pivot and and whether or not we can just make that a situational pivot in build-up play where one of the midfielders drops in which we've seen with Click and Shackleton a bit or or whether or not there has to be a defensive midfielder on the pitch I think if you're going to do it with a with a situational pivot, you need to be really certain that the opposition are going to set up in a way that suits that, because I think otherwise you could be exposed and you could be out of the game really early. So for me, I think it is wise, particularly if you know that the opposition do have players who can play in that position and hurt you. Like, like you know, I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of Ross Barkley by any stretch of the imagination. I think I think he's you know I don't I don't think he's a player that can consistently hurt oppositions, but he, but he is capable in those number 10 spaces occasionally of causing some damage. So I think if you're expecting him to play, then it's absolutely the right situation to pick somebody who's going to be able to stop him. Um, but yeah, I think, and we, we've, you know, we've done this, haven't we, recently against Wolves, we didn't really play with, with a pivot and that was the right choice for that game because we knew in advance that they wouldn't have a player who would be occupying that number 10 space who could hurt us. So uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's, it just all depends how how kind of much certainty you've got about what the opposition's likely formation or likely um, personnel is going to be. Yeah, I think this is where you see that it with sort of the two definitions of what that role is because it's like is he a third defender or 
a midfielder who drops deep. Because if he's a if he's a third defender, then this is where you see the problem because we don't need a third defender in that situation. But if we have a midfielder that can drop deep, then it's not a problem because they can then just push forward and be part of the attack. I just wanted to say on Pascal because. You know, I, I I know it's become a bit of a cliche for us at this point, but I did see quite a bit of stuff on Twitter yesterday criticising his performance and criticising where he was passing the ball because he passed the ball backwards a couple of times, and and I just want to kind of really say that that when when he is in possession and there's a player who's running into space from behind him, it, it is absolutely the right decision for him to roll the ball into that player's space rather than to look for a more speculative pass going forward. And I think you would see Calvin Phillips do exactly the same thing. So I think if you're gonna if you're gonna judge Pascal Strike, that's fine. If you're gonna say he can't play midfield that's fine as well. But what I would say is just make sure you watch the way that Calvin actually plays the role before comparing him too harshly. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of reading actually on the build-up play that we have deep. Um, and in South America, this is called salida, which means basically exit. And the whole process is working the ball through lines of pressing. And I've watched a lot of coaches in South America who do it. They they follow this original guy whose name I can never remember, but it's something like Ricardo Lavulpa or someone like that. And there's very specific pathways and movements and passes that are used in this system. You can trace them. And the reason why Bielsa plays Pascal Strauch is because he plays them fine. He plays those movements. He plays those passes. Um, and he he does everything pretty much fine. Okay, we can we can talk to Lacau's come home about who's who who you want to see in those situations where you've got the ball in the pivot position and you've got space in front of you and you can play a long pass um you probably do want calvin phillips you probably want calvin phillips in terms of his ability to be mobile in defensive transition although again i don't think it's quite as a, a cavernous a gap as i think a lot of people think and so for for us we're always just going to say you know pascal strack is a perfectly competent central defensive midfielder um yesterday he barely did anything wrong there's a few times where he could have passed a little better uh, in terms of his crispness he 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 was a little bit slow on some of the passes yeah. so they could get blocked off but th- there was about two of those uh, and the rest of the time yeah. i thought he did a lot of good stuff he played a lot of penetrative passes his movement was good his defending was good and i think a lot of this just comes down to the fact that people want Calvin Phillips to be playing there, which is fine. And I understand that because, because, because you know, in an ideal world for me, Pascal would be in the back line and Calvin would be in that defensive midfield role. But the fact is, Calvin Phillips is injured and he can't play, so somebody else has to play the role. And Pascal's the only game in town for that. And Bielsa agrees; he keeps playing him there. Yeah. So I suppose that's that's the long and short of it. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. 
For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Um, let's move on to talk about the central midfield in general. We had a couple of questions here. Um, Richard Lang says, didn't today highlight and confirm our desperate need for two midfielders in the summer with uh, click out so out of form has been for months and Tyler just not stepping up. Um, Ole Hagen said, Actually, well, let's talk about Tyler Roberts first, I think, because Rick also says, is Tyler Roberts actually any good? Flatters to deceive. So let's talk about the two midfielders yesterday. Tom Alderson, what did you make of the two midfielders? So they they didn't really create much, but I just, I'm pretty convinced that Cleek's carrying a pretty bad injury and we're just patching him up because we haven't got any other options to be able to do so. And I think that's probably affected him. And he's, he doesn't, he does struggle in these, uh, the games against low block. Roberts as well. I thought he was fine in the first half. I think, I, I think the criticism is incredibly harsh that he's getting. His, his shooting is pretty poor. Um, when, like, he just, I feel like he just decides he's going to shoot. And it's like on FIFA where you just press shoot, but you don't actually do anything more than just press shoot. And it just goes down the middle or you hit it too hard and it goes over the bar. The, the thing, my problem with Roberts yesterday was that, I just think he takes too many touches, and I just think because it's not his natural position to play ten. Because like he'll like we saw with the Lorente pass, like he'll come short, and then like he'll be sort of leaning over the ball, take a lot of touches to sort of move where you you would see a more natural player in that position, maybe sort of take it on the back foot, take it on the turn, and then the the plays all in front of them instead of behind them, and it just looks it's a lot faster. But I don't I think it's really harsh to criticize um, to sort of write Roberts off after this performance because he's he's played really well. In the last couple of weeks, as we saw for his assist um, again for Bamford in the Southampton game, I just think he needs a bit more time playing in that role, and he will come good eventually. He got assist for Helder Costa as well the week before. Yeah, yeah. Look, Tyler Roberts could do with maybe hitting the target a little bit more from his uh, open play chances. That would be nice. I think a lot of people are judging him on the basis of that. I don't think he's had many chances that are good chances that he's not hit the target. I think yesterday he hit the target yesterday with a with a crazy reaction save from Martinez. That could easily have gone in. And it's just a it's just a patience thing I think with Roberts. I think a lot of what he does is is very good in terms of his dynamism in the midfield space. You know, he's I don't think he's going to be ever as good as um as Rodrigo in terms of his movement but he's very similar to him and he's a much better ball carrier and he's quite dynamic on uh, and can can dribble quite well as well so I don't think he's the worst thing in the world at this point he's only 22 as well like he's not anywhere near being like the finished product at all yeah I think I think I said after the Arsenal game that that I I expected that as soon as Tyler Roberts played against a low block at any time that that these sort of criticisms will come up because whenever he has played against a low block he looks a bit ponderous he looks like he needs one too many touches. Uh, the, the, that kind of game doesn't really suit him. I agree with Tom. I think he was fine in the first half. I think he, he moved the ball well. You know, he, he tried to run with it. He tried to do the things we want to do. And I just want to agree with you, Tom, that that uh, John's rather that that save from from Martinez from that that shot was was incredible. But nobody's noticed it because it wasn't a big spectacular dive. The reactions of to get his hand in the way of that shot were 
were really, really, really elite. Um, and I don't think Roberts did much wrong on that chance at all. We had a question from Ole Hagen, which I actually quite liked, because he says, looking in the rearview mirror, what does All Stats Aren't We preferred lineup against this Villa team look like? I know I've just said that we sometimes in looking for the best team, but what I like about this question is that he's he's asking, you know, what is the best team available that we could have played and how would we have changed it? Uh so Ole says, I find it difficult to combine today's opin- options centrally in any other way without making it more of a gamble. The options are Mateus Click, Tyler Roberts, Pascal Strauk, Stuart Dallas, uh, Pablo Hernandez and Jenkins, Jack Jenkins, um, correct? So yeah, is there any other combination of those those players that you would have taken in the midfield than the one that we, we put out, Darren? No, I, th- I think that I think that I think that really touches on a great point is that our resources are so thin there um, that that without you know, if if you, I, I think the only other option that you could throw in into that list would be would be Joffe. But but again, I think any any combination beyond what we put out is a massive risk, and and is is in one way or another is likely to see us kind of picked off, um, or or, or we're going to have just the same problems, but with just different names on the back of the shirts. Um, I I think we we absolutely pitched the correct starting lineup, and and I I sort of agree with um. Tom's point that that Click is probably playing with an injury, but again, I don't think I don't think Click was noticeably bad yesterday. He kept things moving, but he wasn't able to influence the game creatively, which puts him on the same level as every other player in a white shirt, apart from Rafinha in the first half. So, I, I think yeah, the 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 only sele- team selection that I think was incorrect as I think it was given the way that the game played out, and again, this is outcome bias rather than anything else. Is that I think it was the wrong decision to play Costa instead of Harrison because I think Harrison might have been able to help us more in the build-up and he might have been able to stretch the pitch wider. But I think other than that, I think I think we played the team that we were able to play. There's a couple of things here. One is that people seem to think that in these situations, someone should just pick the ball up, run through three or four players and then pop the ball in the top corner right from the edge of the box, which, you know, that's that's hard to do. A lot of players can't do that. Uh, certainly none of our players, I don't think. The other one was that we had a few questions, actually, that I've not included about Pablo Hernandez coming on earlier, uh, which we should maybe touch on. Uh, that's just oversight by myself, so sorry about that. But what do you make of that, Tom Alderson? Would you have, would you have expected something different to happen if we'd brought Pablo Hernandez on earlier? Uh, to be honest, yeah. I, th- I think... This is a game. Well, the way that the game went after about five minutes, that we um, we didn't need Hernandez to be able to do the defensive work. That is why it's limiting his minutes. So we could have gone to Hernandez earlier, and I think we we I think we did look better when Hernandez came on. I don't know if that's just because we looked so bad before, uh, but he created a, a one maybe two chances. Um, but I don't know because like you you couldn't start Hernandez because. The way the the game could have easily gone, that we would he would have looked like a passenger and would have been a, a big problem. I've been thinking about this, and 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 I'm kind of thinking back to a lot of games in the championship where we played against a low block, and and Pablo was really our only only chance of being able to break that down. But when he wasn't able to, what you would invariably see would be people saying Pablo's broken, Pablo's past it, he can't do it, and blah blah blah, all the usual nonsense. Um, so I I think that. He he may have given us a decent. I think I think maybe half time might have been the right time to bring him on, uh, or or instead of the Alioski substitution, maybe maybe look to bring him on, that you know at the same time as as Alioski, um, and that that would have just given him 
I guess statistically more opportunities to kind of to try and make something happen but even then I, you know I, I think he struggled to influence the game in any meaningful way in terms of really un- unpicking the lock because he's playing against a higher standard of player than he was in, in the championship and he's a year older and you know he's he's probably a little bit out of form or a little bit out of touch or a little bit out of confidence uh, given what's happened so far this season. So he came on with about 20 minutes to go. About 20 left, yeah. 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 It was 71 minutes because I remember noting it yesterday. I've, I guess whitewashed a lot of what happened in that game in the last 20 minutes out of my mind, but I don't remember any huge chances that Pablo created. Is that correct? No, I don't think he did. I mean, I think he was able to... I think he was able... There were a couple of nice bits of interplay with Click around, sort of around the halfway line, which got us running at, running at their maybe their back five. There were a couple of points where he was able to kind of hold the ball and wait for someone to make a run down the left that he managed to feed a couple of nice passes into. Um, but but in terms of being able to actually open things up, I don't think there was there was anything. There was there was the there was a shot that he had that was deflected wide for a corner, but that was a very low value chance. And then there was the one right at the end where the ball kind of broke to him in the box and his first touch mm. was just a touch heavy. But yeah, th- yeah it was it was slim pickings, really. Yeah, a lot of this comes down to the fact that whenever we talk about how do we prevent losing games when we look at games after the fact is that there's this whole sort of approach where everyone's looking for solutions elsewhere, right? So they'll say, well, if this had happened, then that might have happened. And if this had happened, then that might have happened. And uh, I'm not entirely sure that, you know, we we can really deconstruct the game in that fashion. I think, you know, once you've given away that early goal, it becomes much harder. And um, I think where, where, we, where the real problems for me lie, as I've mentioned already, are in the fact that we didn't make the dangerous scenarios that we created in the first half count rather than the second half. By the time you get to the second half, you just have to be like, you know, that's that. Um, the, we're, we're always going to struggle until we've got better personnel in various slots. Um, but I think in the first half, there were some chances we had to really cause them some problems. And for whatever reason, it just didn't didn't happen. And, and so for me, that's it's more about the, how do you get rid of those problems earlier in the game than than when you get to a point when the the opposition is just happy to to say that we're not going to have any problems caused by these guys here let's just just wait for it to to sort of break down right let's talk finally about Diego Llorente um second game for him Chris Shaw says Diego's proper second game in it felt okay and I can see the Spanish international how was it and is the eye test wrong when you look at the stats um yeah, I guess it, this very much depends on how you look at the eye test um, <laughs> compared to the stats. But um, let's go with with you on this, Darren. What did you make of Urente yesterday? The jury's still out for me on on Urente. Um, I I think he he does some nice things with the ball. I think is I I think we've talked a bit this morning in in the group chat about some of his um, some of his progressive passing, and 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 I I agree that some some of that looks really good. That he's able to you know find um, good pretty high risk but but manages to pull them off uh, passes through in, into the midfield and I think that stuff looks good um I think he is you know in terms of like interceptions or in terms of uh, kind of blocking things off he, he looks pretty decent there um I think I'm, I'm a bit worried about him with players running at him I think he's going to really struggle with that and that is the hardest thing to do as a defender um, but but I, I do think that he's there to be got at and I think that when we're playing against opposition they've got somebody you know if, if Grealish would have played yesterday for example I think that there's every chance that he would have caused Urente a lot more problems than, than he had um, 
I didn't like his. It, I, th- I think I, I I messaged you, John, uh, in the first half yesterday, complaining and pissing and moaning about Urense. And I've, I, when I watched the game this morning, I was able to identify why. It's because I hated his first pass back to Melier right in the first minute. That really pissed me off because I thought he put Melier under under unnecessary pressure, and then he did something stupid. Uh, not much uh, after that. So, but I, yeah, very much kind of jur- jury still out. I'll need to see him have a good game against someone who's running at him really to kind of be convinced by him um, and I'm not sure that we're going to see that. Yeah, I think you might be waiting a long time for that, Darren. I just <laughs> I, I just really, I don't like him. I, I, I like, and I know we should wait longer than two games, but I just think he's there, he's defending is not great and I think you can point out these passes where he's played it into midfield, but I, I don't know if he does that. Like, he, he didn't really do that. Well, he did it against Southampton, but... It was when they'd kind of retreated and it was always going to look okay against doing it against Villa because they completely retreated after about 10 minutes. So I, I'd, I'd be interested to know if he could do that against a team. When we have to um, repress, say like we were in the Arsenal game, would he be able to do that? My, I don't know. I'm not convinced on him at all. And I just, yeah, that, that stuff with him rolling on the ground, it just made him look a right dick. I just, I don't, I don't warm to him at all. <laughs> I think you're right, Tom, in that most players playing at that level given that much time and space would be able to to pick passes off of that you know of that nature and, and if there was a press then maybe it would have looked different or an intense press um but but he still managed to pick those passes out so that you know I think that has to go in the credit column yeah I think he had a good game yesterday we shouldn't overlook that fact no he, his passing is clearly good I think he is aesthetically he looks a bit of a funny player right he runs a bit funny he hits the ball a bit funny I, th- I do think that the aesthetics of his kicking actually play to his advantage in that I think maybe wrong foots defenses um, because he doesn't have a very standard kicking style and so sometimes he it almost looks as though he wraps the ball around the, his foot around the ball a little bit and and it disguises a little bit his his kicking and and so a lot of the time he almost looks like he's sort of dragging shots by mistake or uh, passes by mistake but they they find players right and I think that really works in his favour I think that's really good it's good to have a, a, a player who's willing to run forward I think it's a good to have a player who's willing to make those passes and uh, I think there'll be games where those passes do make big difference and we saw that happen against Southampton where he found Tyler Roberts for for the first goal the other concerns about his defending and I think part of the problem here is that Bielsa clearly likes him for his ball playing abilities and 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 the thing is is that Bielsa has usually managed teams where ball playing ability is fine to be to to be pri- primary um concern for your center backs but I think this season we're going to play a couple of teams um who are probably going to expose him as you've said Darren to both attack fast attacks in defensive transition where he'll be forced one on one and I think that's where we'll start seeing people complain um I I also like a lot of my a lot of my questioning of of Urente basically comes from the amount of money that we spent for him and the the whole situation that he came through in. So I'm I have to be honest about that and say, um, you know, that probably does colour my opinion of him. I have watched I watched a lot of him playing football last season. Um, after we after we were linked with him and I knew that he was coming, I watched a lot of his games back and he's he's just never really done it for me. But I do think a lot of that for me is aesthetic rather than um, anything more than that. So I think it's just again something. 
something that that we need to to live with. I think he'll be fine. I think he'll be the backup to Robin Koch. I think he's a decent backup to have. Um, so no problems for me. And yeah, his passing yesterday was really good. There was some good passing under pressure as well. It wasn't that he was just constantly in space finding balls. I think there was a there was a bit of that, but they, there was a few times where they pressed high in the build up in early early in the game, and he he was no problems there. I didn't think so. Um, I think fair fair play to him. One thing I would say is that in terms of the question about the eye test versus the stats is that I think because people are looking for things that he's doing well, um, there's, there's maybe an over exaggeration of his, some of his passing. Um, in, and I will say this, Liam Cooper, you would be probably shocked to learn had about 250 yards worth more of progressive passes yesterday than Diego Llorente. Now, as Josh Hobbs would point out to you, forward passing isn't the most important thing. The good thing about Llorente's forward passes is that they are more dangerous than Cooper's, which is true. But I do think that 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 bears out saying as well, you know, in many respects, football is about getting the ball forward. And Liam Cooper does a huge amount of progressive passing as well from a centre-back position. And so I think because uh, Urentes do look better, uh, doesn't mean to say that Liam Cooper isn't doing a really good job on the other side. And I think people overlook how well-rounded a centre-back Liam Cooper has been this season. Completely agree. So I did just want to end on that note. But hopefully it's onwards and upwards from Diego Urente from here on in. Um, which is a sort of positive note to end on, which is good because we're about to end on the positive section. We had a message from our po- positive officer, Dan Holdsworth, and he said, thought we played through the press and progressed up the pitch really well. Credit to Dallas, Ailing, Click, Roberts and the centre-halves for that. That's it, really. Sorry. Uh, so one positive from Dan Holdsworth this week. Tom Alderson, can you think of any others? I, I've scrambled for free. Okay. Um, as as well, I've, 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 well, I'm used to it now. We've done enough of these that I can I know how to <laughs> scramble for positives. So I thought there was a couple of times where I think we did something that resembles set piece routines that might start to pay off in the future. There was that one with uh, Rafinha pulling it back to Costa that yeah. uh, got a shot off, and we're again, so we, we the threat from set pieces is there, and that'll be if that we can push that through to next season that's got to be worth a couple of goals um Rafinha looked good but he always looks good so I don't is that a positive or not <laughs> and then the final positive is we've got one less game on that pitch yeah that's good <laughs> Darren have you got anything to add I just enjoyed Pascal stomping all over the, the first half I thought I thought he, he did he did well um and but other than that yeah I don't know I was a bit bit grumpy yesterday my positive is that the game has ended it's not still going on, which at times yesterday it felt like it would be at yeah. this point today. So. And I don't have to ever watch it or <laughs> think about it ever again. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it. That's the All Stars, aren't we, review of the Aston Villa game. Um, if you like what we do and you want to get more of it, then you're in luck. We have a Patreon channel which allows you to get bonus content. Um, tomorrow I'll be putting up a video I don't know if that video will be of the Villa game or whether or not I might do something a little bit more general uh, because I'm not sure I can face going through that Villa game trying to find anything interesting. Um, So I might do a video tomorrow just looking at the way that we've changed tactically from the start of the season to where we are now um, so if that sounds good to you then head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all starts aren't we and there's loads of other videos on there loads of other podcasts we're doing a podcast this week on formations um, so we're going to have a big chat about the way that we set up in certain formations and the way that we respond to others so if that sounds interesting do head over there and have a look at what's going on um, but here we are at the end of the podcast so all there is for me to do is to say thank you to Darren thank you and thank you to Tom Thank you very much. We'll be back on Thursday or Friday with a West Ham preview, but remember, kids, ameliorate the game state.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 